0: And open. Welcome. I'm glad you are all here. It sounded like you had fun in your groups. We're going to be diving right in here to the review of lesson six. Which um, you'll open up your Bibles to Acts chapter eight. And Acts eight, of course, picks up right where chapter seven leaves off. Um, If you know your numbers, you know that makes sense, of course. But like it literally does, like leave off uh, right there. And uh, we're at the end of the story of the life of Stephen, this Hellenistic Jew, this, this person who was selected, devout man, who served tables, serves up the truth of God, of course, also, and it's the beginning of the story of the life of Saul, Saul of Tarsus, Paul, the Apostle, we'll, have his, we'll hear about his name a little bit later, And actually the lesson coming up, Paul the Apostle, a Hebrew of Hebrews, he's a super Jew, Super Jew. Put, him on, put him on a little cape and a little yarmulke. Super Jew. He's a rabbi. Uh, he knew the scripture. He knew the oral law, which was the traditions they added on top of God's scripture. And so the rest of our study through Acts is going to be this swirling in and out of the life of Paul and Peter and their ministry and the other men and women who come along with them as they continue on the fulfillment of Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Now, if you had heard Stephen preach that message, and I'm going to pause right there before I see what I'm going to say next. As I go through tonight's talk, I would like you to think in your mind the stop and start of it all. And I'm thinking there's a possibility that we might relate to that in our own lives. The start and stop of life. And how we feel like we're on a roll, we're moving in this direction, then whoop, off, there we go. And we're kind of sitting back, and we're hanging out, and we don't know what we're doing. And whoop, uh, off it goes over here. Honest to goodness. So I just want to be thinking along those lines as we go through um, the rest of the talk tonight. So if you have been there, if you've been hearing Stephen preach this powerful passage, this powerful message, you would be thinking, like I I did, even just listening to it, that he is amazing. He's got a big future. He's going to go places. Certainly God has big plans for him. He's got a lot of ministry years left in him. And and then boom, it's over. <laughs> literally done. It's over. He's not going to continue. And it just seems a little bit jolting, really. I mean, if you really put yourself there in that moment with hearing this guy, and you might even think, why would God allow that? Think about it in a moment. I mean, we, again, we have the advantage of knowing the end of the story quite literally. We go all the way through to Revelation, of course. But they didn't. Right? They didn't. So why would God allow that? Why would God stop that life? Why would God do it in such a brutal, public, humiliating, really, way in the eyes of the world? Why would he allow his life to end like that? What a waste people might even think. Mm-hmm. I want us to think along those lines as we're moving through our thought process tonight, but even in your own life. And as you move through this next couple of, well, few chapters in our study, Why? And then transfer that to your own life right now and the why that you have about what you're dealing with and what's happening to you. And if you had stopped in that moment to shake your fist at heaven and question God, what you wouldn't have known in that moment is the effects of Stephen's ministry and that his ministry didn't die on that road outside of Jerusalem. God heard Stephen's prayer, didn't he? And so did everyone else watching and even the people who were throwing stones including who? Saul. Saul. And while Stephen's life was taken in the dust on that road outside of Jerusalem, Saul's life was also taken, grabbed, arrested, redirected in the dust on another road not long after this moment, right? So this next chapter and this next season really in Acts begins with the stoning of Stephen and continues on into chapter 8 with the blood the first Christian martyr, Stephen, still fresh on the ground, his final words still ringing, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. We meet Saul, who at this time, the Bible says, Saul approved of his execution. And at that at that time, great, there's that word mega again in the Greek, mega persecution, great me- persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. Make a note of that, persecutions at Jerusalem, They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. What? Except the apostles. (laughs) That word there, scattered, is the Greek word diaspero. And we still use that word today because the Jews talk about the diaspora to this day. In fact, they orient the celebration of their feast and festivals around, the, the calendar orients them around the diaspora. If you're in Jerusalem and you're observant Jew, and you're observing Passover or Yom Teruah, or Shavuot, or any of the feasts. Uh, Yom Kippur, you may have heard of that one. If you're in Jerusalem, you observe on one day. If you're in the diaspora, the scattered ones, you're not in Jerusalem, you, deserve, you observe on the next day. And that's to this day that started in this moment in history. And that's when the diaspora started, and the diaspora continues, because the original people who came to Christ, were well, they were Jews, weren't they? And that diaspora continued to spread. Jews were used to being spread out. (coughs) Before Christ came, um, they were in exile. And then we have this 400 years of silence before Jesus Christ is born. And they were used to being away from Jerusalem. But now they're back in. And many of them are still scattered out in amongst the nations. But um, this big group of them have been in Jerusalem because of Pentecost. And have remained in Jerusalem because also of Pentecost. What happens there? But there's something I want you to make note of, and I pointed it out in your study, and I just want to make sure you keyed in on that. In Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 8, verse 1, so Acts 1, 8, and 8, 1, we have this mirror, this this interesting fulfillment going on, and it goes hand in hand. If you take the scripture seriously, you decide to take the gospel to the end of the world, you're going to experience persecution, and that's the point. So I, I think we need to stop with the, number one, any travels that have in our life. Oh, I'm being so persecuted. You're, you're probably not. Um, we just have a, a pastor in Nigeria who was beheaded by Boko Haram the other day. We're not being persecuted ladies. We're being challenged. We're, 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 being stretched. No persecution really going on unless you're a cake baker in Colorado. True story. All right. So this, and then it says devout men buried Stephen And made great lamentations over them. This is an interesting point here. I want us to kind of know this. Because Luke, the author of Acts, makes a point. And never think the words are there. Just, oh, I just threw this word in. He always uses his words and phrases on purpose. And this particular phrase, devout men buried Stephen. And made great, mega. We have mega persecution. We have mega lamentation over him. Now it was against Jewish law to lament loudly over someone who had been executed. So they're defying Jewish oral tradition. Not biblical law. They're defying uh, oral tradition. That's what they're doing right there. All right. So here they are. <clears throat> they're in Jerusalem. And what did Acts eight? what did Jesus say? What did God say? What did God tell them would happen? Acts 8 you you're going to go from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth and beyond, right? right. But hey, it's happening now in Jerusalem. This is a happening in place. This is where it's all at. This is where the Hellenistic Jews are, and they're they got their act together. And now they're taking care of the widows. Uh, people are dropping dead because they're you know no good, dirty, rotten, lion scoundrels. And Ananias and Sapphira. I mean, stuff is happening in Jerusalem, and they're kind of hunkered down in there. I think we get a lot of that too. Mm-hmm. We like to say where it's happening. We like to say where we're quite a little more comfortable. We're getting to know each other. And you, you know what's going to happen next. God's like, yeah, nope. And if God had a little finger up in heaven, he could just go blink and flick. He's like reaching down and flicking and scat- scattering them all um, out. All right. Thousands of people, guys, thousands of them are in Jerusalem. And the story of the church shifts right in this moment. Up to this point, we've been seeing the church. It's growing, it's thriving, they've got internal issues they um, got some great Holy Spirit movements happening, but God needs to get them out and he's using something that's just not great. Persecution, because it intensifies at this moment as well. But God uses that. You know, this is exactly what Jesus said would happen, so this shouldn't be a head scratcher at all. In John 15, verse 8, and I don't have a slide for it, for you on this, but it says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me Before he hated you. In other words, you're in good company. And don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Why? I've overcome the world. Our our eyes are up here. Our eyes are up here. Everything else that happens is what we're just going through to bring God glory up there. All right. So while the church is scattered, Saul is dragging and chasing and pursuing. And he's doing all this evil. And he's causing so much terror. Why? He genuinely believed he was doing the will of God. This isn't an evil pagan. This isn't an evil pagan. This is a man who was following Jehovah, God. He's a Jew. He's a Jew from Cilicia, from a town in that area called Tarsus. And what's interesting is he has something in common with that guy, Stephen. Like Stephen, Saul was a Hellenistic Jew because he wasn't from Jerusalem. He was from Tarsus. So he's a Hellenistic Jew, just like Stephen was. Maybe that explains Paul's, Saul's rage over Stephen, because they were brothers in a sense of that Palestinian connection. There, all right. So the church is scattered, except for the apostles, and um, they are staying in this Jerusalem area to continue teaching and serving. Right, what they're what they're called to be doing there. And then in that scattering, we meet Philip a little up close and more personally. Philip went down, and I'll just make a point on this. In your maps, always know the Bible always refers to any place you're leaving from Jerusalem as down. Even though a place might geographically be located north or south or east or west, pretty much whenever it mentions Jerusalem, going from Jerusalem to any other point, it means down because Jerusalem is a city on a hill. And it is to this day. Everything's down. From Jerusalem. So some people have said that's inaccurate of the Bible. They don't know their directions. Like, well, here's what that means actually. So it's not like directions that we do. Like my imitation of I like that we are rah, rah, rah. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ, which in your Bible might say Messiah. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did why because he was casting out demons he's healing people and people aren't just amazed and astonished it's interesting if you recall from our luke bible study a couple years ago every time a miracle was done that jesus did this miracles he would always say they were amazed and they were astonished over and over and over and over again so i think it's interesting luke's word choice here that they weren't just amazed and they weren't just astonished what does luke say about their response there was much joy And there's a sense in which that joy isn't just, yay, we're so happy this is happening. It's like relief. It's right. It's relief. Why? Well, we meet this other guy coming in soon, Simon, this magician. And there's this strong contrast between uh, these people here. So Philip, we get to know him a little bit better. Philip the Evangelist is come to know. And if you're raised in the Eastern Orthodox tradition or even the Catholic tradition, you might have a day on the calendar where you celebrate the, the, the Philip the evangelist. You might know some of these saints of the faith in the sense back then, maybe even have medallions and things like that, that people in that, in that religious tradition um, do. So he's known as Philip the evangelist, and we get to hear a little bit more about him in chapter 21. But he goes to Samaria, preaches the words to, to those guys, and the Samaritans are people um, like the Jews. They had been taken into, into exile, and they had intermarried with the pagans. This is why... The Jews hated them so. They were part of the original family of God, but they break off and they end up so intermarrying with pagans. They're basically the entire lot of them all half-breeds after that. Look at verse 8 again. There is much joy in that city. You see, the joy is a distinct response to true believers, to real salvation. Joy is. And I'll tell you, you ladies, you're a joyful group. I, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir when I say this, but I just want to reaffirm to you, be continue to be joyful. There's no need in our, our Christian faith to be so serious and so like not happy and just no sense of humor and all that. Like be let it flow out of you. And let it let it be. This is not to say your life isn't gonna be one wanna you just wanna kick the bucket sometimes, but you, that bucket could be full of joy too. Just kick it hard, kick it hard. But true believers know that they are anchored and they have that kind of joy. And so Luke moves from this joy to this truth to these genuine people overcome with what they've seen happen in the name of Jesus to Simon. And you feel this shift because Luke uses the word but. And this the story's going to end up going a little bit south here. But whenever you see this word but, it always introduces a contrast of some kind. So you go from the powerful preacher to a false practitioner named Simon Magus maybe in your Bible. M-A-G-U-S, or Simon the Magician. It all comes from the same root. And we get, like, the Magi who visit Jesus. It's all in that same... It just means magic. Not in the sense, of you know, like David Copperfield. Obviously, he's not making buildings go away. But um, it's the same concept there. So... Um, Interestingly, Simon the magician or the sorcerer is actually from the city of Samaria. We know a lot about this guy from extra biblical sources. So if you want to look up a little bit more about this guy, there's a lot out there on him. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that called great... Oh my gosh, I could preach an entire sermon on this package, right? Just right here. Honestly... Even Luke, including from the least to the greatest, whoever shall be called, greatest shall be the least, the least shall be greatest. I mean, just so much right there. But we're going to move on. This guy is an occultist. He's practicing sorcery. Um, It's an ancient form of magic that he's practicing. He's probably making actual stuff happen, but it's demonic in source. And, you know, people are very astounded by that. They're very curious about that. But you know darn well it does not bring joy. That's the difference. They might be amazed. They might be stunned. They might be like my son. It was really curious. So when he was about four and a half years old, we were driving down Whittier Boulevard. And he looks near our home, or, or our old house in Whittier. And he looks up and he goes, Mom, what's that building there? He sees it every day because we're driving by it all the time. What's that building there? Well, it's the uh, Fortune Teller building, the hand reader, palm reader. Oh, building yeah. Building. Okay. It's pink. And so it's a oh. big neon palm hand thing out there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those are the, you're just kind of like, oh, I you'll never notice, like, ever. Just like when you notice some guy walking on the street smoking a cigarette. And he's like, <laughs> Mom, what's that? I'm like, that's a cancer stick. It will kill. You. Don't do that. No. Okay. So anyway, <laughs> I might have called it a death stick. I forget what I called it. Whatever. He's like, whoa! That's, why does he do it? I'm like, because he's 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 the s word. He's stupid. Anyway, so he sees he sees this uh, fortune teller place, and he's like, what is that? And he's super curious about it. And um, what is that? And I said, well, they say I don't. How do I explain? I'm not going to tell him. He's four and a half. <laughs> and I so I just the worst thing you can do for a four year old say a bad word. So I say, well, they say a ton of bad words in there. They just say bad words all the time. They're very naughty and they're all, all with the bad words. He's like thinking, he gets super quiet and he goes, well, look, look at it, bad words. I'm like, oh man, I don't want to tell you. So, and then he gets quiet again because he knows I'm quiet and he goes, oh, do they say the S word? <laughs> yes, they do. Nonstop. Just the S word. Damn, the S word was stupid. So good enough for me. So, you know, but we get curious about that kind of stuff. we say it, and We have it to this day. That was kind of dark arts. And it shouldn't surprise us that people are curious about it and that evil really does happen and the demonic powers can use that because Paul addresses that in 2 Corinthians about Satan. He says Satan can transform himself into an angel of light. He's a deceiver, right? So we have to do what Jesus says. We have to judge with right judgments, not on the outward appearance, but by the fruit. And that fruit is in line with the word of God. And so Philip comes along on the scene and he starts to straighten all this out. So this Simon Magus was considered actually, again, back to the historical documents, to be a god among the Roman uh, people. There was actually a statue in the city of Rome to Simon Magus. This guy's a big deal. His, His influence goes pretty far. And so, verse 12, But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news, good news, magic is not good news. There is nothing good about that. He preached the good news. They believed him and they believed him about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. And they were baptized, both men and women. All right. What's interesting is Simon himself believes and it says so. And after being baptized and he is doing everything right, isn't he? He hears Philip. He believes. He sees something like, wow, that's different. And he gets baptized. So he's going right along with the flow of everybody else who had made the statue about him and made him really famous. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was full of joy. No, what was he? He was uh, he was amazed. It says he was amazed. So before you get your hopes up and that thinking like you know some great rock star come to Jesus moment here, we see some trouble. Come on, it says he believes. But we're going to go ahead and put that in air quotes, right? Believes. Mm-hmm. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was seeing these amazing miracles and signs that were done, so he's focusing on that. So he comes along, he's amazed, he looks at all these miracles, and that's the basis of his faith. It's the, the goodies, right? The the bells and the whistles, the exciting stuff that he sees out there. All right. He's impressed, not with the God who does the miracles but with the miracles themselves. And that's a cautionary tale for us as well, isn't it? And then also, as we notice that in the lives of our friends, people who are so into the the tongues and the healings and the speakings and all the emotional stuff about religion. And they might even believe, and they might even get baptized, but their focus is not on what it should be on. It's on all the other things. All right. So, then we shift, and we have the apostles move in. They're leaving Jerusalem and they're getting out because word's out. Apostles of Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God. They're like, whoa, Acts 1-8, chip chop, that's moving along, wow. Jesus. And they didn't have verses and numbers back then, but not, not like we do, but they knew it was happening. They're going into Samaria. So they sent to them, <coughs> excuse me, they sent to them Peter and John. Remember that Peter, Jesus had given him in Matthew 16. Peter had given been given the keys to heaven, which meant that Peter had the privilege, the Bible says, of opening the door faith basically to others. He opens the door to the Jews at Pentecost. Peter was the one instrumental there and now he's the one over in Samaria doing this to them. Does Philip lead them? He absolutely does. Do they believe and get baptized? Absolutely. But Peter and John are the one that come down as apostles to kind of Make it right, like not to sanctify it, but just to seal this moment. And there's a reason for that. We'll get into that in just a minute. But I do want to point out something very interesting, a little bit ironic. Because if you go back to Luke chapter nine, again I don't have a slide for this, but if you go back to Luke 9, um John was one of the apostles who came to Samaria um because John was the one who would ask Jesus, Lord, do you want us to command fire and brimstone to come down from heaven and annihilate these people here in Samaria? (laughs) John was one of the guys who'd said that. So John was all heat in the moment back in the day with Jesus. And he's like, smite these Sumerians already. Like, let's get rid of them. We got some power from Jesus. Jesus completely shuts that down, obvi. Um, but that's kind of, I wonder if that was in John's brain when he was walking. there, like, oh, yeah, I kind of want these people to all get smited. And I'm glad they didn't because now we're here and it would just be, you know, charcoal dust if it, if it was something. They've been smited. All right. So they came down. They prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. You see this interesting thing like, oh, they believed and they were baptized and they didn't get the Holy Spirit like they did at Pentecost. Is that it? How long was the delay there? Why did not it just come in that very moment? But the Holy Spirit had not fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, not baptized in the Holy Spirit. When they came to Samaria, those two apostles, they start praying for them that they might be filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember, remember John asked if they could just call down fire and destroy Samaria and now he's calling down the Holy Spirit, the spirit of fire. Right on top of it. Isn't that beautiful? I mean I think that's God also redeeming John and John's heart. And maybe God does that in your life as well. When you've wanted to call down fire and brimstone on somebody and God says, Yeah, we're gonna bring the Holy Spirit instead. How about that? <laughs> How about that? All right, God's way bigger than our way. Amen to that. Because you know, if I got the smiting power, I probably wouldn't. Well, a lot of us wouldn't be here. Nothing personal. But so God, John doesn't get that answered prayer. But maybe you're asking why? Why this second moment? They laid hands on them, and then they receive the Holy Spirit. Let me give you my thoughts on that. There's a variety of thoughts in um, commentaries. Yeah. <coughs> I want you to think about something. The uh, Samaritans had their own. Mount they worship God on, Mount Gerizim. Kind of like the Muslims. They take the story of Abraham and Isaac and the sacrifice on um, the holy mountain, where Isaac was. And um, they make their own version of that. And the Samaritans, like the Muslims, do the same thing. And God wants to bring everybody together. The Holy Spirit had appeared separately to the Samaritans without the Jews connecting them together. See, what did Jesus say? To the Jew first, he said. And then to the Gentile. And then to the Gentile. Why? Because the promised seed came through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to Jesus. It was to the Jews first. That's God's almighty sovereign plan. And so if the Samaritans had isolated from the Jews and that whole body of believers had isolated, there's a possibility, I believe, that they would have made another temple over there in Samaria. Oh, we got it over here now the Holy Spirit. I and mean, it would have been the separation. God wants unity. God wants them brought together. All right? So... Um, I don't think, again, we've talked about this before. There's a difference between prescriptive and descriptive scripture. Just because the Bible says something happened doesn't mean that's what we do. So some people have taken this and, oh, the Holy Spirit didn't come there, but it came here when someone prayed and go, oh, that means you have to pray a second time, uh, and, and get the Holy Spirit at a later date. We don't see that anywhere else outside of Acts. In fact, later on in Acts, even it stops happening. Boom, believe, baptize, Holy Spirit, move on. But in certain points at the very beginning, because we we're haven't, we not really done with Acts 1-8 yet, are we? Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond, right? Siberia and beyond. We're not really there yet. So until we're there, and it goes beyond, and it's coming up, in your next study, you're going to get it. We're there. And you'll see it. From that point forward in Acts, oh, it's always once and done. It moves out in that direction. So, uh, again, um, don't read things in the Bible and say, well, that's how it always should be. Why aren't we doing it that way? Like, look at the context and say, okay, what's happening? And, um, and put your thinking caps on and stuff like that. Okay, my thoughts on that. If you have anything else that you want to discuss, I'd be happy to hear um, your ideas on it as well. So when Simon saw that the spirit was given through the laying on the hands of uh, the apostles' hands, he offered them money, which is what I would do. Clearly, I'd like, <laughs> "What are do you doing? some money? Off. What? You're just like, what are you? Like, what this guy is? something soft. All right. So first pass through is I'm studying this on my own. I'm thinking. Baby Christian. He just doesn't get it. He still has his own ways, his own mindset. He needs to be cleaned out. And then the more I read it and delved and thought and delved and thought and prayed, I'm like, all right, Lord, this is is not just a baby Christian. Because I don't think Peter would have let him have it like that later on. So I go back to it. He says, I'm going to give you some money. Give me this power there's nothing in there about I want more of Jesus. Remember that song we sang his kids in little kids Sunday school? I want more of Jesus. More and more and more. No? <gasps> I will teach you that song later apparently. Jessica! Oh. <laughs> it says give me this power so anyone whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit whatever this Holy Spirit thing much in your It's like he does not even know what he's talking about. He just wants to be part of the action. It's all about Simon. It's a Simon ship. So Philip's magic was something but Peter and John really they pulled something off he's thinking. And so he... Treats Peter and John like they're other dealers in the black arts, like he was. How much do you want for your tricks? How much do you want for that Holy Spirit? So Simon has this high view of himself and a low view of God. He thought he was the great one. He thought God could do some kind of a cheap trick that that he could do in his own way and his own magic tricks to add to his own little repertoire. Just add on to this. He didn't understand the glory of God. Ladies, I think it's so easy for us to identify, hopefully, with the heroes of the story and go, wow, naughty, that guy, and not realize that could be us as well. And we need to identify with that as well. Do we want God for the tricks and the things, or do we want God for God? Clean, break, full, stop, God, G-O-D, period, that's it. If I get nothing else, I got God. Amen? All right. You want to know something that's interesting about God? Oh, there's a lot. There's just one thing that came to my mind. <laughs> I know. <laughs> what? what? Tell me. I'm like, well, there's a lot. Anyway, I have a long story. Nothing. That God has is for sale. Nothing. Nothing is for sale. Why? Because you haven't got nothing he wants. The only thing God is, is free. Free, free, free. He gives it all freely. It's always been that way. It's all throughout the Bible. Isaiah. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come by and eat. Come by wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves. In fatness, fatness, as it says in one of the other translations, delight yourself in rich food. So Peter does not go easy on him at all. May your silver perish with you. Literally in the Greek, ready? It's not me. Don't don't report me to the higher authorities around here. Peter says, literally, Greek colloquialism. I said that word pretty well. To hell with you and your money. That's what that means. May your silver perish with you. To hell with you and your money because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money you have neither part nor lot in this matter your heart is not right before God that's discernment ladies that's not oh he's so judgy (laughs) oh that Peter (laughs) judgy McJudgerson back off simmer down Peter people these days would have probably said that to him Mm -hmm. hashtag judgy you know on Peter with their social media posts (laughs) repent therefore of this wickedness of yours people don't like to hear that message either not back then either. We might think back and then, oh, they probably couldn't handle it better. No, they couldn't. They were just ornery as we are today. They just to not have social media to tell everybody how ornery they are. And pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven for you. For I see you're in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. You've got bitter heart like a gall. A gall is a wound on a tree. Sometimes you a wasp, a plant, and it just grows and festers on a tree. A the parasite there. And you're in the bond, the trappings you know, of iniquity. Just sin is all wrapped around you and coiled around you like a strangling octopus sucking the life out of you. Those aren't easy words. That's discernment. That's boldness. There's Peter. That's our Peter. That's our guy. He loves him have it. All right? What does he say? Your money perish with you. To hell with you and your money. Not soft words here. And Simon is terrified. And maybe Philip was too. Maybe everybody else was like, "Whoa, that's a check your heart moment. Like, I don't want to get called out by Peter, but I'm telling you right now, they may not have even have heard about what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. I mean, at least Simon doesn't drop dead on the moment. Simon's answers, pray for me. Which is interesting, to the Lord, and nothing what you have said may come upon me. He wants Peter to pray for him. Why didn't he pray? He didn't have the Holy Spirit. He didn't have the Holy Spirit. Is this repentance or is this avoidance? It's avoidance. Simon repenting or hoping he'll avoid the punishment. We don't hear what happens next but the point is strong. Don't presume to use the power of God for your own gain. And honestly, listen, don't go easy on obvious evil in the church, even if it's baby Christians. Let them have it. they not. But let them have it. And don't, don't pull your punches. There's no room for that kind of cancer in the church, ladies. There's no room for it. If you haven't already heard the message I gave on Sunday, I would really encourage you to listen to that. It's all about judging. And how we misuse that word, uh, that that verse, and we've we've taken it as a higher than the Ten Commandments, almost judge not. Mm-hmm. And I love this passage; it reminds us so strongly about that. You now Peter had discernment, judge with good discernment. So if Simon had received the Holy Spirit, don't you think he would have repented? Alright? Mm-hmm. Don't you think he could have prayed? He would have. He would. I mean, honestly, the story would have been read differently. And Simon fell on his face before the yeah. Lord and repented. Yeah. There was nothing that hints at repentance. So Peter shows discernment. All right. <clears throat> so from there, uh, Peter and John head back to Jerusalem. They hit as many of the villages as they can. Uh, Samaritans, they all get the gospel. And an uh, angel then appears to Philip and tells him to go to Gaza, which still exists today. Isn't that fun to find on the map? And go, well, there's a lot of action still happening there today, of course. And Philip obeys, and he comes across this eunuch who has been up to Jerusalem. He's returning to Ethiopia on a mission from the queen Candace, which is a title like Pharaoh or Caesar, by the way. Candace is a title. And, um, Philip comes upon this guy, this eunuch and, uh, and he says, uh, do you understand what you're reading? And the guy says, um, how can I, unless somebody guides me? I love that. Love that Beautiful, sweet spirit that this eunuch has, but there's not a whole host of people I keep on wanting to meet in heaven. It just gets longer. And this guy's one of them. All right. And of all the things this guy could be reading, really, all the things he could have been reading, even if it was just any other old book of the Bible, he's reading Isaiah. And of all the chapters in Isaiah, reading chapter 53. How many of you watched the video of the Jewish guy? You guys say, what now? Right? Oh, my goodness. I totally cried again sharing that video with you. So, Philip proceeds to reading the scripture, he reads them this passage from Isaiah about Jesus and reminds and teaches him what it means. And the eunuch answers, Philip says, um, who, who's this, who's what's happening? Who's being spoken up here? Is this the, the prophet himself saying this about himself or about somebody else? And like I mentioned in the study, um, Jews to this day, think it's about the nation of Israel or even, um, Nehemiah, the prophet got anything they can do to deny that is Jesus, the Messiah. All right, so we meet the eunuch, and remember, Simon wants power, right? He wanted the truth, is what this guy does, this eunuch. Totally different, totally different than than Simon. Simon was willing to pay money for for this power, but Philip, or the eunuch, just wants the truth. He just wants the truth. I love that heart. Verse 35, when Philip opened his mouth, he began with the scripture and he told him about the good news of Jesus. And here's the deal. Remember, none of the Gospels had been written. They didn't have anything written from the Gospels. This is a good reminder to us that you can teach everybody about Jesus from the Old Testament. You don't even need the Gospels to do it. I love that. All right. So, Philip preaches to him, preaches Jesus to him. And every sermon in Acts, if you'll take a look as we read through the sermons in Acts, Every sermon going backward and forward, listen, they all preach Jesus. And I know, I know we love it when people tell their stories. I tell my stories and my sermons and my messages too. But really, it's got to be about Jesus. If I don't point you to Jesus, you come up and you stand up right where you are. And you can correct me if you want to. We've got to be preaching Jesus. We've got to start thinking that we can orchestrate uh, an environment where everyone will come. If we just say it just the right way to just the right kind of people in just the right tones, preach Jesus. That's exactly what they do all throughout Acts. And every time we open Acts, don't we all go, it just feels like that's how it should be? If that's how we really feel, that's what we really want to see, then we need to expect from the pulpit, from this pulpit, from any stage, from any heart, on this campus, and everywhere else we go, that we are always about Jesus, because that's exactly what we see modeled for us throughout Acts. All right. So he preaches, he preaches Jesus, and the guy says, Well, I got to get baptized, and there's water. They're in the middle of a desert, and there's water just so happens. And he dips him down brings him back up and boom, he's gone. I mean, talk about a redirect, right? I mean, don't you think Philip might have been like, I dig this guy. Let me go down to Ethiopia preach the gospel down there with you. He could have just kept on going with him. Why didn't he? God says, nope, boom, you're gone. Not even a chance to think about it. Up and out of the water, drip dry in the air as I'm flying you out to, what was it, Azotus? What was that? (laughs) that town up there? All right. So then just as fast as he's gone, Luke switches gears and moves on to back over to uh, Paul. And we have Paul breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And um, so Paul, Saul, um, gets to the Jewish council and gets all these certificates so he can go to all the different synagogues and start rounding up people in and around the synagogues with permission from the high um, council, the high priest. And, uh, so he's heading up and I have it on the map here, uh, from Jerusalem to, um, Damascus, same, similar road. If you map it out today, same basic path to get there. Um, like he did that. <clears throat> All right. So he heads up out of that, in that area and, um, he's basically fulfilling Acts 1, 8 himself, isn't he? Mm. Doesn't even know it. He's heading up out of Jerusalem and he's heading up to, um, past Judea and Samaria and to the other parts of the uh, of the earth. All right, so on the next slide, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, he approaches Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And in your King James Version, it might also say, and what do you want me to do? How many of you have that version King James? Yeah. You might be like, wait, that's been there. It's not in there. It's not in, it's mo- not in most of the translations um, because the most reliable documents don't include that. But it's an interesting concept and it's not anti to The King James does include that. So he says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Here's here's what's interesting. Saul totally is persecuting, isn't he? Mm-hmm. He's letting him have it. Is Saul sincere about his faith, you guys? Is he sincere, is Saul? Yeah. yeah, he is. Does sincerity matter? Yes. A little bit. If you're selling cookies. You believe what you're doing, sure, sincerity. But is it the most important? It is not, because I believe ISIS is very sincere about what they believe in too. Mm-hmm. Mormons are sincere. Jehovah's Witnesses, they're sincere. Truth is more important than sincerity. His religious beliefs were wrong. <clears throat> so Jesus gives Saul and us a significant reality that to persecute any of His people is to persecute Him. He makes that very strong. Um, connection with him there as well paul makes an interesting connection in this passage as well when he says um, later on in philippians in philippians he is writing to the church there at philippi and he gives a little bit about his background but then he says this that i may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death if by any means i may attain to the resurrection from the dead now listen to this Not that I've already attained it or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which, that for which Christ Jesus also lay hold of me. I press on to make it my own, to lay hold of. That word there is katalambano and it literally means to arrest. I press on to, to lay hold, to arrest, to grab what I was grabbed for. He's saying God, Jesus arrested me on that road there. In Damascus, and that's exactly what ends up happening. You know, we're just going to share his story a few more times. And so we're going to go over this. That's why I'm skimming over quickly, because we're going to have plenty of time to really dig in even more deeply into um, Paul's story here. But I just wanted you to catch that little particular note there. All right. So Jesus speaks to him, and uh, the King James, like I said, adds, what do you want me to do? And he tells him, I want you to go to Ananias. Think about that. Ananias is one of the unsung heroes. In the Bible. You never hear of Ananias writing a book. Preaching a sermon. Performing a miracle. But he was the guy that first approached Saul. And he called him brother. Oof. I Love that. Saul was notorious. Ananias certainly could have felt reluctant. And he did. But he comes in and he faces brother Saul. That Jesus who appeared to you has sent me. And he prays for him. Why didn't Jesus just tell Saul what to do? Why didn't why did he have to go through Ananias? Don't you think about things like that? But he didn't. He uses Ananias. You know what I think about Jesus? You know what I think about God? He likes to use us, turns out. Mm-hmm. I think he delights in us. Mm-hmm. I think he does want us involved. Because truth be told, he could just wave his little magic wand or whatever he's got up there and make it all happen. Mm-hmm. But he wants you and you and you and you and you and do you and you. Now, to do the thing. Mm-hmm. Right? To be the hands and the feet and the mouth Of Jesus. Right? And that means we you gotta step up, ladies. You got someone in your life right now that God wants you to do the thing. Say the thing. Be the thing. Be Jesus. Let God use you like he used Ananias. Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how evil, how much evil he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority, literally had been going to the high priest to get the authority to have these people killed and, and chained up. And he's got authority. And here's the deal, guy. That authority he got originally to use to go in and get all the Christians, he's going to use now as a stick it in. Because he's going to start preaching the gospel too in a minute, isn't he? But Ananias obeys Saul. And he says, and he spent some days. Now, I think that's Luke using his art of understatement because I believe that there is actually a gap between verse 22 and 23. Because we know later on from Paul, Saul's story that he gets taken away and he he spends time in Arabia. And he is discipled by by Jesus, and he's taught, and he's trained on his own. So I believe, and and there are some differing opinions on this, if you read the scholars and and the commentators, but I believe between verse 22 and 23, there's actually a three-year gap where he spends some time uh, learning and growing in his faith. All right, so he's in Damascus, he's saved, he goes to Arabia, he comes back. It's been some days. I realize that. So feel free to look that up and we can chit-chat more if you're curious about how many days and why, and was it wasn't really three years or how many it was, but I think it was three years. I think it's a three-year gap there. Anyway, so he's excited to go to Jerusalem, meet with the apostles, and hang out there and share with them, But nobody in the church group believes that he's a converted man. No kidding. You held people's coats while he, you know everyone was killing Stephen. He's wreaking havoc on the city. He's not coming back here, he's not coming to our church. I feel sorry for Saul a little bit at this point. He's a man without a country, without a religion, in a sense. All of his old life. And some of you came from that. Some of you came from an old life that you had to say no to. And I know some of you have even gone off social media. You couldn't even be on social media for a while because of your old life. And then you come back in later when you're ready and you get down a little more emotionally or whatever. You just forget it all together. But this is Saul. Yeah, I think this is his exact, his exact story as well, going through this moment. <coughs> all right. So, um, for some days, like I said, um, he was with the disciples and, um, at Damascus, and immediately he proclaims Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is a son of God. Why I paid good money to give you all the Holy Spirit? <laughs> no, <laughs> Jennifer, to pay money. All right. He doesn't do that, of course. He's, he's a true believer. You know, God then brings in Barnabas to his life. Um, and I hope you remember him. He's going to come up again. He was first introduced to us in chapter 4. His name, his birth name is Joseph, but the apostles give him this name Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement, and he's really wealthy. He um, he had land in Cyprus, we learn, um, and he lays all that at the feet of apostles at some point and encourages the church financially, and he is Saul's buddy. He's a traveling buddy for Saul from this point forward. Every church needs people like. Barnabas to come alongside and and train and encourage and uh, maybe maybe you've been that for someone maybe you are that person uh maybe someone has been that to you but but we all need those all those Barnabases in our in our church don't we mm-hmm. all right Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ and once again i believe this is the key point here What is the center focus of Paul's message? Jesus was the Christ. Is there any reason why we need to add bells and whistles to the gospel, ladies? No. No. Please, ladies, listen. Please put your, not just thinking caps on, but your discernment cap on. When you're hearing other teachers teach on the radio, from pulpits, from any seminars, workshops you go to, books that you read, please, if they're not preaching Christ, if they're preaching a feel-good, get-yourself-act-together message, Put it away. Get back into the word and get a good discipleship buddy going on with you so you can stay focused on what's important. That's what she, that's what Saul did. There was no feel-good, warm, and fuzzies throughout the gospel. I don't see any reason why we need to be doing anything else but that on our own as well. All right. So the remaining part of this chapter, we have this healing moment, um, and we have a raising of the dead, Tabitha, Tabitha, whose name is also Dorcas, which is a little awkward for us in America to say Dorcas, whatever, but it means gazelle, it's quite a lovely name. Um, I actually had a friend in college, her name was Dorcas, I wish I would have known that, I would have called her Tabitha, anyway. So, um, we get this beautiful, um, moment where Peter, um, gets to heal, um, Tabitha, Tabitha, who's this Proverbs 31 lady. And then we end this passage, this chapter, uh, with Peter, and it's very interesting. We'll pick it up when we start your next lesson. But Peter is in the home of this tanner, this professional who skinned dead animals, and uh, it's kind of weird. And it's important though because it comes up again as you move later on into the story. So, for just closing points here, I want us to think about. The turn, like I said at the opening of Paul and all the other people throughout this passage. He leaves Jerusalem, Rachel in a huff. He stumbles into Damascus in humility. He went to arrest Christians. He ends up being arrested by Christ. He begins the trip determined to wipe out the message of Christ, and he ends the trip devoted to the cause of Christ. He went from being a persecutor to being a persecuted one. Ladies, there are shifts and turns and restarts and redirections that are happening in your life to this day. If they aren't happening today, they're going to happen tomorrow. Get ready. And in all that, to God be glory, right? In all that, you have your focus on Him. Join hands around the table, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the power of your word, how it opens our hearts and our minds and reminds us who we truly are and whose we truly are. Uh, forgive us for the distractions that we allow to come into our mind and our heart that take our focus off of you and serving you. Give us discernment and wisdom And bring healing and peace and comfort to our hearts when we're distracted by the things that are happening in our life. And Lord, just as we feel the the warm hands around the table of friends and and sisters in Christ who love you, let's let's all be here together in the power of your name to support and love and be a Barnabas to one another as well. Go before us now as we move on with the rest of our evening. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.